episode of the Hoosier Health Podcast, our guest is Anna Ariola Vallo. Anna has been a doula in central Indiana for almost 10 years and has participated in almost 300 births. Anna explains how a doula interacts with other healthcare providers and provides assistance to moms and dads and partners um, through the birthing process and gives them resources to help that experience um, be as memorable as it can be. As the saying goes, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it also could take a village or a group of people to bring that child into this world. Doulas can be an excellent source of information and guidance as mom brings this little one into the world. And it's also a great opportunity to have additional support through the process. On this episode, we also bring back our segment, Behind the Curtain, where we ask care providers what goes on that maybe we don't know about with what they do every day. And all I'll say is this one is colorful from Anna. So let's dive into this episode of the Hoosier Health Podcast as Anna provides details on her background and how she became a doula. And we really appreciate her taking the time to educate us. Anna, thanks for joining me on the Hoosier Health Podcast. I'm excited to get to learn more about uh, the practice of being a doula. First, if you don't mind, let's start off by having you give me some uh, background uh, on yourself as well as the training that it took to become a doula. Yeah, I would love to do that. First of all, I just want to say thanks, Pete, for having me on. And we'll give out a shout out to Darla Berry, Certified Nurse Midwife, um, for connecting us. I'm very grateful for that. I have been a doula for 10 years, and my background comes from Dona International, Doulas of North America. They've been around for close to 30 years, 25, 30 years, and I trained with them back in 2011. I actually had a three-month-old with me, a little three-month baby. He came to training with me, (laughs) and so... I went through that training and I had to take a couple other classes. I had to shadow a childbirth education class. I had to support three women through three different birth experiences. I also had the opportunity to have a mentor. She's local here to the Indianapolis area on the West side. And she kind of took me under her wing to help me get started. that is kind of the basis of how all of that came along. I do have some other certifications. I'm trained as a parent educator with an organization called Spinning Babies. I've been certified as a dancing for birth instructor. I'm also a certified lactation specialist. <laughs> wow. I'm also um, certified and trained to be able to support women through bereavement as well, which we know is one of those things in pregnancy as birth can be unpredictable. Some women need support through loss and bereavement as well. So you have um, obviously developed a passion for uh, your practice and and also, I guess, the um, experiences over the past 10 years. Uh, I'm excited to hear a little bit more about those. But but before we dive into that, you know, what made you want to become a doula? So I was very blessed with the opportunity to have a mom who was very invested in teaching us about our bodies and supporting women. She would go to our community and support women when they would have their babies, anywhere from women who were having home births to women who were having babies in the hospital. 
She was one of the first women in our church organization to bring a meal or she would go and help with their kids. I think she just had a passion for service. And so I grew up with that example. My grandmother also had eight children and my mom's best friend. (laughs) I'm telling you, they just love to grow big families here in Indiana. (laughs) Well, that's yeah. What else? What else do you do with all the corn and, you know, the uh, leaves change color only once a year. So I guess you you might as well have kids, right? You find something to keep yourself busy. Um, I also had the opportunity to have women such as my mom's best friend. She was a nurse in a local hospital in Southern Indiana. She was also a sonographer and she taught childbirth education as well. So from the ages of like 9, 10, 11, I would go with her to the hospital and watch all of these new parents learning about childbirth education, you know, how to change a diaper. And so I always had this idea of wanting to do something with women and children and babies. And so I think the influence of the nurses, the care providers, Um, Even other doulas, my youth pastor's wife was a doula. I kind of grew up with that support around me. Gotcha. So you you were uh, in an environment that fostered this uh, passion and obviously uh, it's, it's worked out pretty well. So well, the uh, the question that I had was, um, you know, we, we talked with uh, Dara LaBerry and got to learn about midwifery and, and describe some of the um, differences between advanced practice nurses. Um, but if you could, in your own words, kind of tell me about some of the differences between um, a midwife, uh, a birthing coach, and a doula, and just, you know, maybe some of the other options I'm not familiar with, and just educate us on those differences, that'd be great. As Darla had explained with midwives, we have two different pathways in Indiana. There's the pathway of a certified nurse midwife. And in Indiana, they can care for women through um, early changes with puberty. They can address family planning. They can address pregnancy. They can address, address loss and bereavement. They can also address birth in the hospital They can run a birth center or, you know, work for a birth center, and they can also serve in the home birth capacity. Back in 2013, there was a bill passed for um, home birth licensure. So it's called a direct entry midwife with licensure, also known as a certified professional midwife. Here in the state of Indiana, we have roughly 15 midwives, I believe. And if I'm off on the numbers, I apologize. But there's roughly 15, I think maybe 17 across the state that are certified to do home birth midwifery. Their skill set is somewhat within the same realm. The difference is that a certified nurse midwife goes to nursing school first. Then they go to obtain a master's as a specialty in nursing with a concentration in midwifery. Home birth midwives also go um, to a school, a meek accredited school. And when they come out of schooling, they also have to do a four-year apprenticeship. In the state of Indiana, home birth midwives have to attend 120 births, and that's in different capacities, either as an observer, as an assistant, um, studying underneath someone, whether they're the primary student to be able to obtain those numbers. And then they have to have so many hospital observations before they can sit for an exam or apply for their license through the state of Indiana. 
So all of that realm is within the same of clinical care, right? But we know midwives do not perform any type of surgeries. It's for low risk women and low risk situations. Where a doula comes into the picture is we're responsible in a non-clinical capacity. So anything related to resources, education, and that's not just through pregnancy, that could be in preconception also, especially for families who might have gone through a miscarriage or a loss, and they come to the place where they're ready to try to grow their family in another step in another part of a season of life. Um, we can help with connecting to resources, whether it's fertility clinics, um, situations where there might be an adoption involved, um, surrogacy, we've supported in those capacities. But again, we're responsible for non-clinical roles, providing resources, education, physical support throughout the birth, even like a mental and emotional support. For some women, they want spiritual support in that aspect. If there's something related to their faith base or a religion that's important to them, for us to foster an environment that's respectful of that, to bring those um, capacities in to support them, that becomes important. And we're also responsible for just being with the woman. That's part of what doula work is. It's having that presence for them to know that they're not alone, that they can have access to evidence-based information, that we are not there to replace their partner, but we're there to support them for what their heart's desire is and for them to feel safe to use their own voice. Gotcha. So is there a lot of uh, scripting of this um, with the, uh, the the mom of, hey, how do you envision the birth to play out? What um, you know, what um, specifically would you like to maybe listen to with music or, you know, I, I guess, I, what does that sound like when you uh, talk with a, a patient? Conversations. <laughs> well, it's really fun. I have to tell you, like this job, it can come with some heavy seasons, no doubt, based on outcomes and unexpected things that happen. So we have to ebb and flow. But it, there's also a fun part of this journey where you really get to embrace a person for who they are and talk with them, listen by asking questions. And a lot of those questions are open-ended. So we actually get to do something called birth planning. Some people do not like birth plans. They're like, they jinx people. Well, we are believers in health and safety. Those are two pillars, two foundational pillars. We talk about that all the time. One of the third pillars is flexibility. When someone builds flexibility into their plan, then they can ebb and flow with the process. But when someone has a plan, they are kind of giving an example. They're sharing their wishes for a best case scenario. So it's kind of an outline more so than a plan of what their wishes are. Um, I have to give props to my doula partner. Her name is Jessica Petro, and she is amazing when it comes to media and digital things that I'm just not so savvy on. And so we put our brains together and we're able to come up with some formats for outlines. One is for a birth outline. We do a cesarean birth outline. We also do an outline for postpartum as well. And those help to foster the questions. It gives evidence-based sources. So families can do their own research, but they're not falling into the abyss of an outline on Google where they're going to find thousands of birth plans and, you know, be overwhelmed to the point that they might shut down where they don't explore those topics and those conversations. 
Well, and I'm sure it helps prepare mom for, you know, um, different, um, you know, lies in the road during the process of birthing. So she's at least mentally prepared. If this happens, then what? And, you know, it helps kind of bring those um, maybe... um, Oh, hurdles that might arise, uh, you know, in the forefront. So at least they're somewhat prepared if that's uh, the way things play out. So um, I'm sure it's a healthy exercise. And, and, you know, that third pillar of flexibility is probably being um, flexed a little bit more than normal, given the pandemic. How, how has the pandemic, uh, um, I guess, had a, had a toll or, or had any impact on your practice? So for our practice, it has actually increased the volume. We have a motto. Our motto is that we prefer quality of service over quantity of service. I have five kids myself and my husband, who's not a kid. We co-parent. We are partners in this relationship for caring for our family. But we're a large-sized family. And my partner, Jessica, she has three children as well. So she's a family of five. And that in itself, right, is a pretty large scope. Also being professional women, um, there comes a balance. That balance becomes important. And the flexibility that we ask our patients to have, our clients, I'm sorry, we also have to have that in our home life as well as the balance with caring for other people. At the drop of a hat, we've got to be able to drop and go. And so one of the things that we have found is that quality of relationship becomes more important with quantity of service. I think what's happened in Indianapolis, we have had a couple organizations that closed their doors due to COVID. I don't think that that might've been the case had COVID happened. Um, Sometimes life changes happen, people ebb and flow in their walks and the different journeys they find themselves on. So we appreciate all the doula organizations and practices that exist. There are babies that are still coming, but for my practice solely and working with Jessica, our practice has actually grown through COVID to the point we've had to actually turn people down or refer them to other service because again, our buckets, right? We have to watch how full they get so we can maintain those commitments we've already made personally and professionally. Well, that's good. And that probably speaks to, you know, your approach and making sure you are providing enough of yourself to your clients. And, and, you know, some people might think, well, you know, I would want to have as many customers, right, if, if I'm a business owner as possible. But, you know, at some point you get spread too thin and aren't able to provide the service that you want. And probably the reason you got into the being a doula in the first place. So um, I commend you for that. And, and I'm sure your clients appreciate you doing that as well. Thank you. You know, and I think another aspect when it comes to quality and time, one of the differences between doulas and clinical staff in the hospital, we don't work on an an eight hour rotation. So there's a couple different approaches to style of practice. Some doulas go with a practice where they might have a commitment of 12 hours in their letter of agreement or their contract with their client. And then some other people are committed from start to finish. Some doulas will have a clause written in where after 12 hours, they might charge an hourly fee. And within our practice, we just have a flat rate that we charge. And that includes everything from beginning to end on what's listed within that agreement. Um, I kind of had to take it from the perspective, how would I feel if someone charged me more after a certain amount of time? And I think because birth is one of those facets that's unpredictable, 
I would be more nervous of the fact of I've paid for the service, but now because I don't know how long my birth is going to go, I'm going to have to be paying someone hourly. And while I respect that model, that just didn't resonate with the style of practice I wanted to offer my community and those that we serve. So we don't have any additional clauses or fees when it comes to our service style and practice. Um, we honor, you know, different styles, but for us, we just kind of wanted to kind of put out there, here's what you get. This is what you pay for it. And, you know, you have to value the work that you do because if you don't value yourself as an individual, other people aren't going to see that value either. We kind of set the tone for that. No, that's, that's a great point. And I think the transparency there is, you know, mom's giving birth. The last thing she wants to think about is every hour she's laboring is costing X amount of dollars more, uh, for the support. Right. And, you know, that's the last thing you want to have on their mind and, and hospital bills, you know, I mean, absolutely. They charge for services. We are all aware of that, but sometimes you don't know. I mean, if you go in planning for a vaginal birth or let's say a home birth and you have to transfer into the hospital to have one additional mindset of worry that was unexpected, we want to bring some of that worry off of their shoulders. We want to make things as less traumatizing as possible. And so that's another reason why we stuck with the approach that we did. No, that's great. And I think the uh, other question that probably comes to mind would be any type of insurance coverage. You, you mentioned uh, kind of the pricing structure that, that you and Jessica have in place, but does insurance ever cover the services of a doula? That's a great question, Pete. So with insurance, specifically here in the state of Indiana, there are some other states that do cover reimbursement. There's some states out on the West Coast as well as the East Coast the Midwest can be hit or miss Minnesota. And I think Missouri have some reimbursements that they work with. Um, the Midwest where we are here, I'd say in the pocket with Indiana, Kentucky, um, Tennessee, I can't speak fluidly to Ohio, Illinois, within the states that are surrounding us. I feel like we are still working and navigating that ground and territory. I feel like some of the certifying bodies and training organizations that provide education for doulas are really trying to create that conversation, but I think that's at each state level. I never knew that birth work would lead me to become I'm not going to say a lobbyist, but I, it brought an awareness. The scales fell off of my eyes as a participant and a community member in my county and in my state, how important it was to know about those family policies, um, policies related to women taking time off from birth, coverage for insurance. And so what we came to find is that insurance with HSAs and FSAs currently women can utilize those sources for paying for doula services. So that's one piece, which is helpful. The other piece is that mainstream insurance, like your Anthem or Humana, not that I'm trying to call anyone out, I'm just giving some general company names. Those types of insurances have yet to come forward to cover for doula services. Um, Medicaid back in summer of 2019 Indiana had passed a bill for Medicaid services to reimburse for doula support for any Medicaid participant. And while we were all excited about that, um, the funding was actually pulled for that. And there's been some really great areas on where that bill stands. Um, the governor signed it and it was put into law. So it is actually 
active in the sense that it exists. It is not active for reimbursement or payout, which is really unfortunate. The conversation that came to play at the last birth conference that we had at the state level was that they wanted to consider doulas as community health workers. And so here's the pieces we'll put together for that. As a community health worker, they pay out $9 and some change for a 30-minute billable block of time up to two hours, okay? So that might suffice for a prenatal visit. That's for one client. If you serve anyone between two to four persons, that drops down to $4 and some change. From there, if you serve anywhere from four to eight or beyond, it drops to $3 and some change for a 30-minute billable block of time up to two hours. And when you think about what doulas do, education and visits are great, right? That helps to prepare for the process. But what about the time that is spent during the birth? My longest birth that I've ever attended was 40 or four days, four days. I've attended a birth that was 72 hours, 52. And I got smart finally. And that's when I started working with the partner because I literally for that four day birth was not in my right mind. I mean, who can be up for four days? Even hopefully most doctors or care providers don't stay up that long. We have to recognize our human capacities, but there's also value for the profession, what people are pouring in to be able to give out. And you can't pour out of an empty cup. You have to put gas in your car. If you have kids, you have to pay for childcare. So I share all that information for the basis of, I believe Indiana was trying to figure it out, but it just didn't come to a place where it ever got figured out. And so that is lingering out there. And there's still some places that that conversation needs to come back to the table. And so I really just encourage people, no matter what side of the fence you sit on, I think when it comes to who's your families keeping mothers and babies safe and seeing women live, seeing babies live past their first year. Indiana is ranked third and sixth for infant and maternal mortality rates. A nation that has 50 states, that's not a ranking that we are proud of. It's actually pretty heartbreaking. And so I think that women's health and children surviving and thriving, families surviving and thriving, is important because those are our future generations. And, you know, women and caregivers or birth givers are people who are having our future generations. And so that's something that needs to be valued. And you can get involved at the state level. You can use your voice, the power of your vote, but you have to know what you're voting for. And so I say, you know, wherever you sit, that's your own business. But, you know, really take the time to see where does that fit within your heart space and what you value. If you value your family, those issues become important. That's a great point, Anna. And I think, um, you know, Darla hit on some of the points there with the infant mortality rate and our teen birth rate is not uh, ideal compared to our uh, counterparts across the country. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of it boils down to education, you know, and, and, and everybody knowing the service that, a, for example, a doula or a, a midwife may provide and, you know, um, how valued that could be. And, and, you know, if they don't know, they don't know. And so I am encouraged to hear that, 
they did sign a law into place. Obviously, the funding part is uh, extremely important because it doesn't mean much until it's funded. Um, but at least the act is there, and it sounds like um, we're turning the corner, right? I mean, there's some things that I think our state has uh, been slow to adopt over time, and, and uh, some of that's good, but in other parts it can be not so good. So, um for improvement, right, Pete? <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, you did. I got to bring this up because it's still rattling around in my brain. You mentioned being certified for dancing for babies or dancing. Uh, what? Okay, so it's a program called Dancing for Birth, and it's utilizing movement through pregnancy and music and rhythm. So our bodies have a natural rhythm. If you've ever been in a meeting. You've got your toe tappers, you've got your pin clickers, you got people who, you know, kind of play with their hands, the people who doodle on paper. We all have ways that we outlet energy. So we have rhythms in our bodies, the way that we walk, the way that we sleep, the way that we breathe. Those are all natural body rhythms. And what's really neat about a program like Dancing for Birth, it creates this collective community for women to come together and through movement and using music, we're introducing prenatal lifestyle fitness. And so helping them create movement in their body, helping them create balance in their body, and just learning the power of movement. So many times, I think when we see the portrayal of birth with Hollywood, it's the woman in the bed with her legs up in the stirrups, she's screaming her head off, and all these things are being done to her, right? Instead of her being an active participant in the process. Um, we don't see a lot of animals who roll over out in nature or when we watch something on National Geographic, you don't see an elephant drop and roll onto your back with all fours in the air, right? And so there are these rhythms and these instincts within the body. And I find when you use something powerful like music and helping people find rhythms in their bodies, they're more likely to have the confidence to listen within themselves and yes, to work with their care provider for shared decision-making, but to feel safe, to kind of let go and unravel in the process. Birth is so much one of those aspects where sometimes it's mind over matter. Instead of fighting against the process, you have to feel safe to be able to let go and to unravel from that process. I guess so it's not as much, um, well, maybe it is a part of the final steps as they um, get ready to, um, to to give birth, but you're, you're telling me this is also something done through the pregnancy um, as well as kind of a workout, right, it, it, essentially. Yeah, and it's never something that should be so strenuous where women are out of breath, but it's helping them to build the stamina, helping them to build the movement within their bodies. Another really fun education tool and learning journey that I was able to take is spinning babies, which some people might think spinning babies. What is that? Um, I am not a trainer for spinning babies. I'm actually a certified parent educator. So I'm able to educate families on resources and tools to help create balance within the body during pregnancy to help encourage optimal birth positioning. And so people are like, what do we do? Do we move babies? No, we encourage movement in mothers to create optimal positioning for baby in, in utero to help hopefully make the labor process and the birthing process a little easier. And again, it's those 
hands-on tools and given the woman power back into her body to say, oh, I'm having some back discomfort. How might I be able to work through that instead of just laying in the bed on her back? You know, even with an epidural, there's still so much we can do. And that's the great thing about doulas. They come with this knowledge. They continue to get education and training to be able to educate other families to know how to use those tools when they need them. Well, our bodies were definitely designed to move and, and not be sedentary. So I'm sure that's uh, definitely the case when uh, you're, you're, you're expecting and getting ready to give birth. And uh, I, I bet your clients really appreciate that knowledge base to help coach them through those um, situations where they're uncomfortable or, again, they're just becoming more in tune with their body as they uh, welcome their little one into the world. So um, well, <laughs> that's, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I have four kids myself and have gone through that process with my, my wife and, um, did not know at the time we're, we're done with kiddos, but, uh, if for some reason we were going to go back in time and, and try that again, I definitely bring up the dancing for, uh, for birth, uh, option to her. That would be, um, that would be pretty cool to see. So when well, dads too, I think for them to just know, that they have a place, that they're welcomed in that space, you know, and that's another point we can discuss. A lot of times if there's a partner involved, people ask, how do dads and doulas or how do partners with doulas, how does that work? And I always let people know we are not there to replace the dad or the partner. We're there to be a third wheel. And as a doula, if we're doing our job right, we are the third wheel. The dad feels empowered to make that connection, to stay in the flow of what's going on. And there are times where some dads might have responses to bodily fluids or certain smells and things that might knock them on their feet. And I'm not saying that that's a generalized statement or some people might have health issues that we need to be aware of. It doesn't mean we take them out of the picture it doesn't mean that we replace them, Pete. What it means is that we're there to work in conjunction with them to support the person who's giving birth so that they're still connected and a part of that process. That is imperative that they are brought in that journey and on those discussions and in the relationship building as well. Very important. And I'm sure um, both mom and dad or, or mom and partner definitely appreciate uh, that inclusion. Um, and and I, I have a, a segment that we do on the Hoosier Health podcast called Behind the Curtain. And Behind the Curtain is really just an opportunity to hear an interesting story or situation that um, I guess really stands in your mind as something that's scary, gross, uh, just unique, that if you don't mind. Is there anything that we could include within that Behind the Curtain, curtain uh, segment? I can talk to you about some, we get pictures. Let's just talk about phones and pictures of the doula. So the first thing I will tell you is that I have a code for security on my phone for two reasons. My littles are not allowed to play on my phone. I, first of all, don't want them having access to technology, you know, as frequently as they probably see us on our phones. Um, for my job, as well as my husband's, we have to keep our phones accessible. I tell people on that one profession, if you see my phone on the table and we're out at dinner, not that that's been recent with COVID, but before COVID, when we were all out and able to enjoy life in that capacity with social norms of seeing one another in person, um, you know, going out to dinner, it wasn't rare for me to have my phone on my table because if I got a call and I needed to go, we would go. But there are times where it'll be midnight or one in the morning and 
I get a picture and it could be of something in the toilet, something on a sanitary napkin. And most people would definitely be like, oh my goodness. But the visual is the best way. And sometimes, especially if you're a first time parent and you don't know what to expect, you've taken all the classes, you've read all the books, your mind kind of goes into this place of just own. And that not going to be embarrassed. We're not going to be offended. And so I've definitely had some colorful photos pop up on my phone, hence why I have the security protection. And my husband does not go through my photo scrolls either. I do delete pictures. But yeah, there's definitely been some colorful things that have come through. And I'm probably one of these unique individuals that can talk about birth or see something that has been inside the body, let's say like a placenta. We geek out on placentas. We love to see the side of the mom's placenta, the side of baby's placenta. Um, Darla actually got to do what we call a placenta stamping process, which is where you have a sheet of paper and you stamp the placenta onto the paper and the mom was super excited we had a midwife who taught us how to do that it's a mutual person that me and darla both knew she passed away this last year she's near and dear to our hearts and that was just a creative way that she would honor the placenta educating the mom it was something she did at my birth which was really special so i'm like hey darla want to stamp this placenta and so sure enough in the hospital Darla did her first placenta stamping and I have to say it turned out quite well oh. <laughs> and placenta stampings you know those are some of the things that we experience as doulas well that's that's amazing and I, I it just is a testament to the uh, relationship that you have with your clients and and their um willingness to you know uh, bring you along in their birth journey and um, you know, that's probably one of the most rewarding parts of what you get to do is, is play that, that role in that, um, that sidecar to, to mom. So it is a gift and, you know, birth is a life event. It's not a clinical event. It's okay to access care, right? We know prevention goes a long way. And the beauty is that when we honor it for the life event that it is, um, my partner, Jessica, I have to give credit where credit is due. She uses the metaphor that when a family is in the center of their miracle, of their birth miracle, you know, a dad or a partner is being born a parent for the first time. Mother is being born a mother for the first time. The baby's entering into the world for the first time. But they're in the center of a miracle of becoming a family together for the first time. And I think when we acknowledge that, it completely changes the paradigm of just coming in for a job, right? Or just working a shift. It keeps the main thing, the main thing. And that's that this family's life, this child who's becoming part of mankind, of the human race, they're entering into the world. And that's something that should be celebrated. And that's whether it is a live birth, a stillborn birth. Birth is birth. It happens in many capacities. And while we can't control the outcomes, we can control how we respond to people the tone that we set with our voice and the environments that we're creating for these families to feel safe, to feel respected and to feel heard through their process. Last question. How, how many doulas would you say are in the state of Indiana? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I would say we're probably in a category of hundreds at this point. I mean, in Indianapolis alone, I could probably rattle off 
25, 30, and then some, probably within an hour's radius. We've got doulas in Fort Wayne. There's doulas in South Bend, doulas in Clark County, Indiana. It's really growing. And I think that that's imperative when you look at Indiana's numbers. The fact that we have over 30 counties out of 90 that don't have access to care doulas are a really great way to bridge that gap, not to fill the clinical role, but to help them find those resources that are the closest in their community that reflect the wishes and desires that they have. So we can improve these birth outcomes, reduce trauma and see moms live after having a baby and see babies make it past their first year of life. Good stuff. Well, Anna, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate you taking time to be on the Hoosier Health Podcast. Awesome. Thank you. 